Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Yes, it's true. We're back together. We're here. Three of us in the treehouse outside Franklin, Tennessee. I'm your host, Nate Larkin, here with our uh, executive producer, Mark Whitlock. Hello, hello. Yes. And the man himself, back from climbing Mount Everest, I think, last weekend, <laughs> Newton Dominey. The occasional co-host. Yes. Co-host. That's right. And uh, the other co-host from the left coast, joining us from sunny California, Aaron Porter. Hello, Aaron. Good morning, pirate people in a tree. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I find most of my pirates is up in a tree. <laughs> <laughs> And it, it is so nice. Uh, the pr- it's a gorgeous drive here now. Uh, that now that spring is, uh, is here, the trees fully uh, bloomed. My allergies are well aware that yeah. everything is blooming. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, what's new in your life there, Newton? We've missed you the last couple of weeks. Yeah, man. Um, it's it's exciting, and I'll put brackets. I'll put quotes around exciting. <laughs> um, man, things are just hectic. Uh, my Wednesdays, which is when we record the podcast, um, you know, little behind the scenes stuff. My Wednesdays have just been filled up all of a sudden with, I mean, who knows what, but life in general has gotten full. Yeah. Um, my son is now not only walking; he is walking well really um, he is he climbed out of his crib this weekend Uh-oh. wait how old is luke he's 15 months um god that went fast so for those of you curious yeah i was gonna say it just felt like yesterday you had this kid <laughs> right, right. You know, for those for those of you that don't know um the sound the sound of a child falling out of a crib <laughs> is much different than the sound of a child throwing something out of a crib <laughs> um, <laughs> So, but but if you aren't in the house, does a child falling out of a crib make any noise at all? <laughs> I, I was downstairs, and that's far enough. And I'm going to say yes. <laughs> but no, like so. Yeah, he totally. I, I can't say he took a header out of the crib, but he fell out of the crib, uh-huh. and um, that did not. Um, it did not discourage him from climbing. It emboldened him. Oh no! <laughs> um, the climber so yeah, has like, given birth to a climber. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then, you know, like we took him, so we were, I think one Wednesday I missed, um, we had actually gone camping. It was our first family camping trip. Uh-huh. And, with, with the pop-up camper? Yeah, the pop-up camper. Uh-huh. And um, as I should have expected, my son, when we got there, immediately picked up a dagger-shaped rock and just <laughs> and to stick the size of his arm and started running around. Um, so, yep, I've got a boy. He's mine. That's so, awesome. Um, falling on his head, running with sharp objects. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But yeah, things have just been been hectic, hectic and good, but hectic eventually starts to just wear me down. So mm-hmm. I'm glad to have a pause in the week to, to hang out with you guys. Yeah, beautiful. So, yeah. Beautiful. Well, how are things going in the Larkin home? We haven't heard an uh, update for a little while. How are you and Allie doing? Oh, we're 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 doing you know we're doing fine. I I have to keep adjusting my expectations. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, if there, if I allow to sneak back into my thinking, the idea that uh, if I'm behaving myself in all the areas where I in the past have crossed the lines. And if I'm being a good boy, then life will be perfect and we will be happy and nothing bad will happen. Well, there's a bubble being burst for oh, a lot of people. Oh, <laughs> man. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, staying present in my own life, even when life gets difficult. Hmm. At the end of the day, I know that that's better than abandoning my life for some, uh, you know, f- fantasy life, quasi life, just to, to go away. I did that for many years. I know that any medication I use to deal with the unpleasantness of my reality is in the long run going to be more unpleasant than my present reality. Uh, And I rely on conversations like this and daily friendships with other guys to remind me of that truth. So, yeah, it has been tough. Uh, Allie, you know, a year out from a knee replacement surgery when uh, we thought she'd be... uh, Heck, jogging, or you know, at least you know, yeah, uh, doing the uh, you know, 
racing through the malls in Franklin. <laughs> she's still got she's still got a knee that feels like it's the size of the basketball. She's in wow. constant pain, and we actually started acupuncture treatment yeah. two weeks ago at Vanderbilt with a with a wonderful Chinese doctor who we can understand about thirty percent of what he says. <laughs> so, as, as long as he understands you guys, that's the important part. It's, or she, or so, she. Yeah, it's yeah. a he. So it's funny. Um, he told her that uh, next week he will bring her in some pain, pa- some some Chinese pain patches or pain medication or something. Cool. And she said, Allie, ever the skeptic, said, "Well, what's in it?" And he said, "Ingredients." <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, the, the blessing is I'm getting to spend an awful lot of time with my wife these days. We've yeah. canceled, we've pretty much canceled all uh, travel, and we're not out uh, knocking around town in the evenings anymore. Uh, and you know what? That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I wish it didn't come with all the pain, but that's where it is. That's yeah. us. Uh, Mark. Well, I uh, I am celebrating the fact that as of this morning, I have lost forty two point eight pounds nice. since January first. Oh so, man! Uh, and I think there's since a re- January first. Since 1st. January first, that's insane. And uh, I think there's a recovery principle in this because really the only thing I have changed mm-hmm. is I am doing things on purpose. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Planning ahead. Yeah. And doing things on purpose. Yeah. Uh, and have help along the way uh, to do that. Uh, so it, it's nice to have a menu. Mm-hmm. It's nice to do the shopping. It's nice to do the meal prep. And then it, so the, you're not reacting to hunger. Yeah. I'm ahead of it. And uh, it's tasty. It's, it's amazing. And uh, I feel phenomenal. Um, so I was with a friend yesterday and he said, you know, go pick up a 40 pound barbell in a gym just to celebrate. Yeah. And uh, I think I need to do that. So the scary thing is if you go online and you run that BMI calculator, yeah, technically I'm still obese. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, who, who makes up these things? Yeah, I, I will, I will say that, that, that BMI calculator is just <clears throat> earmuffs is just bullshit. Yeah. I am technically overweight. Oh, come on. Yeah. By, by like 3%. That's insane. But but Newton, you are such a handsome hot man. How could this be true? You have not seen me with my shirt off, sir. Um, <laughs> but no, so it, it doesn't account for muscle. Uh, and so as your as your body is displacing fat with muscle, yeah. it doesn't account like it, if you looked at uh, pick an athlete like I don't know um, Sidney Crosby, yeah. right? He would maybe be obese for his body size yeah. because he's like ninety nine percent muscle. Yeah. So take art. There you go. I will take heart. And then the other thing that's been and going on. Quit. And don't quit. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to quit. So I'm, I'm basically just halfway to my goal. And I still have that, that crazy, nasty goal of qualifying for the Boston Marathon on time yeah. and not as a, a, as a fundraiser. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so maybe I'll get that done by the time I'm 60. But at least I'm headed in the right direction on that. And then another thing is that uh, you know I'm in a new relationship after, mm-hmm. you know, year or whatever since uh, um, things went down in in my marriage and uh, she has been walking through a great deal of grief Mm -hmm. we looked at it last night and there have been five uh, grief events if for lack of a better way to put it um, since we um, began our relationship so it's been it's been a lot of deep water Uh, was beginning your relationship one of those grief events (laughs) You'd have to ask her that. I don't oh. think so. Okay. Uh, and so it's been um, it's been a lot of deep water uh, to walk through, wow. and um, it's been a privilege to walk through it with her. Mm-hmm. But it, it it's also shown us both a lot of who we are. Yeah. And uh, that's been uh, that's been a blessing and, and an eye opener. Wow. It's, so, but uh, I I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't yeah. trade it. Bring us up to speed, there, Aaron. Oh, nothing new goes on in this world. Uh, I'll I'll just say I this last Sunday we were starting uh, to preach through the book of First Thessalonians, and I decided, hey, why I don't want to jump into like verse one. This is a letter written from Paul to people. So I explained who the Thessalonians were and said, so pretend you're them. Here, I'll read the letter just like it was read to them. 
I've never seen people struggle so much to listen to words for 10 minutes. Yeah. It's a short letter. So I have a message for uh, uh, America. Watch less TV. Listen to more audiobooks for the sake of the pastor who wants to actually read through an entire book of the Bible to give context. Yeah. That's all I have to say today. That's my update for the week. You short attention span. Mm, yeah. uh, were you saying something? <laughs> Well, all right. I lost you after 140 characters, Aaron. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, then let's not have a meeting. Let's have a mini meeting. Well, let's do that. Are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're going to do mail first, and then the mini meeting. Sure. Yeah. Uh, mini meeting. Mini meeting first, then mail. Okay. All right. Well, we probably first should take a break because the the uh, listeners are all exhausted. We've already we've already we've already spent more than ten minutes talking. So. Okay, all right. We'll be back with your letters in a moment here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. This song goes out to everyone with a short attention span. We're back on the Pirate Monk Podcast, and contrary to my representation only moments ago, we are not going to read your letters right now. We're going to save those for letter, uh, later because they are so inspiring, and instead, right now, we are going to have a mini-meeting. Mini! Mini-meeting! Uh, Newton, would you uh, lead Happily, us? Happily. Happy to. My uh, name is Newton. Hi, Newton. Hey, Newton. Welcome to this meeting of the Samson Society. We are a company of Christian men. We are also natural loners who have recognized the dangers of isolation and are determined to escape them. Natural wanderers who are finding spiritual peace and prosperity at home. Natural liars who are now finding freedom in the truth. Natural judges who are learning how to judge ourselves aright. Natural strongmen who are experiencing God's strength as we ex admit our weaknesses. As Christians, we meet at other times for worship, for teaching, or for corporate prayer. Today, however, we meet to talk. Our purpose is to assist one another in our common journey. We do so by sharing honestly out of our own personal experience the challenges and encouragements of daily Christian living in a fallen world. We've now reached the sharing portion of our meeting. In sharing, we speak honestly out of our own experience. We tell the truth about ourselves, knowing that our brothers will listen to us in love and will hold whatever we say in strictest, strictest confidence. confidence. Strictest confidence. <laughs> we try to keep our comments brief, taking care to leave plenty of time for others and we address our statements to the group as a whole rather than directing them toward any one person. The suggested topic today is... Disappointment. Okay. Disappointment. Well, that's disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a letdown. All right. So um, the topic is disappointment, and uh, the floor is open. Thanks, Newton. Thanks, Well, I'm Nate. Hi, hey, Nate. Hi, uh, Nate. Yeah, uh, I am. Uh, I, I'm spending a lot of time these days readjusting my expectations. Uh, come to the realization that I really have set myself up for some resentment, which is a dangerous thing. Resentment, mm -hmm. all uh, a, a feeling as though I've been deprived of something sets me up for uh, a battle with, uh, you know, my inner addict. So, um, uh, Allie feels very apologetic these days. She, she just turned 70 at her last birthday. Uh, I'll turn wow. 60 on my next birthday. Uh, she reminds me on a regular basis that she told me on the day I asked her to marry her, uh, to marry me, that one day I'd be married to an old lady and that uh, sh that I would be taking care of her. Well, Allie, you know, her her body is aging and mine is aging as well. She's still a beautiful woman and, and in a lot of ways she's as young as she ever was. But we're having to deal with the limitations that come with uh, aging and uh, injury and mm -hmm. some disease, that kind of stuff. Um. <clears throat> and although I, re you know, I recall telling Allie 37 years ago, this is not. I, I'm. I, I don't care. If, <laughs> I. I just want to be with you for the rest of my life. Uh, 
in the back of my mind, there was this caveat, you know, hmm. that we would spend our golden uh, years uh, hiking the Andes or something. I don't know what I thought we would be doing. Um, and certainly by the age of 60, I would be, uh, in my own mind, you know, I'd be fully retired on a comfortable income. Uh, and uh, the world, the entire world would have uh, risen up to call me blessed. <laughs> and uh, you know what? We're still, we're still in the middle of, uh, you know, life is difficult. Uh, that very um, difficult reality that once we accept it actually makes life less difficult. So on the one hand, I'm, I'm having to readjust my expectations in order to be content today and to find joy today, because there really is still plenty to be grateful for today, plenty of joy today. I'm grateful that I have greater intimacy with my wife today than than on my honeymoon, actually, because uh, I'm more fully present as myself, and I know her far more far better than I knew her then. Uh, you know, the the other way that uh, I have sometimes dealt with disappointment in the past, trying to, this kind of uh, preemptive strike against disappointment is to jettison all dreams and all expectations and go to hopelessness and despair. Therefore, I cannot be disappointed, <laughs> right? If if I decide before I walk into the interview that they're not going to give me the job, then right. I will not be disappointed when I don't get the job. Yeah, that's an unhealthy way for me to um, avoid disappointment. And uh, so, to me, these days I'm having to strike this balance of um, I still have to have I'll allow God to give me hopes and dreams. I got to wake up for a reason. There has to be something I'm pursuing. Yeah. Um, and and anytime I'm pursuing something, I run the risk of disappointment. Hmm. Uh, but if I set myself up in pursuit of the unattainable, especially if what I'm, what I'm trying to do is control somebody else, control people, places, and events that are in all practical terms beyond my scope of influence, then I'm setting myself up for an inevitable disappointment. But if I never challenge myself to do anything, uh, and lately, frankly, that's become a, a little bit of a, of, a, of a battle for me. Somehow I'm looking at the next birthday at age 60, and in my head there's something about 60 that seems a whole lot bigger than 30, 40, or 50 ever was. Hmm. Um, and um, there is a voice in the back of my mind that says at 60 you go to the back of the room other people now take you really don't have anything new or creative to contribute you're gonna you're gonna you know that you you coast from 60 on right and um, and I don't want to do that uh, certainly I will face the risk of disappointment if the next book doesn't get picked up or doesn't sell. Um, but unless I'm uh, moving forward, um, yeah, life's going to end more, uh, earlier than I need it to. Anyway, mm -hmm. that's, that's where my head is. I'm, I'm Nate. Thanks. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Nate. I'm Newton. Hey Newton. Hey, Newton. Um, hey, Newton. Yeah, I I don't like this topic, but I'm gonna. I don't like it because it's it's relevant. Um, <laughs> uh, actually, my my first memory is is one of disappointment. Um, like disappointing my dad. It's the first thing I can remember in my life is is disappointing my dad. Um, and I that's a theme for me, feeling like a disappointment up to the point that I'm 40. Mm. Um, when things don't go well. I, so that's <clears throat> that's my history, and God also made me an optimist. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I am an idealist. I'm an optimist. Uh, I I expect the best. I um, don't always put the work in to achieve the best. Um, 
but I, I am perpetually living in this spot where I know in my heart things are going to go well. And when they don't, I immediately turn to <clears throat> disappointment in self. Mm. I am almost always, I, I, disappointment for me doesn't turn outward in disappointment of others. It typically turns inward. Um, and as I was listening to you talk, Nate, um, yeah, I mean, it's easy for me to just throw it all out. It's not easy for me. I want to sometimes just throw it all out and say, you know what? If I just don't expect anything, if I don't want anything at all, then I'll be all right. And that even kicks up a voice of disappointment for me. Like, why wouldn't you want more? Like, you're such a loser. Um, but it's, uh, especially now, being a dad, being a business owner, being a husband, um, trying to do really trying trying to do big things in my life um it's a constant battle of disappointment and evaluating that and looking at you know what did i do what worked what didn't work what could i have done differently um and i as i as i sit here today um disappointed with a number of things in my life where mm -hmm. where my business is where i am from a health standpoint all these things it doesn't matter how well things go. I can typically find the gray, <laughs> the gray lining in the silver cloud. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here exhausted from that process mm. of constantly having to, to turn to another man, you know, a, like in a Silas relationship and say, I feel like a loser. Am I really a loser? Mm. Like, I feel like I'm letting everybody down. Am I really letting everybody down? Mm. Um, and that's, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. And I'm also learning through these conversations, through, through this work, that I've kind of got to be okay sitting in that exhausted spot. Mm. And I've kind of got to be okay with the process. I say that all the time to people when I talk about all the things that I seem to enjoy doing, running a business, running, climbing. Um, if you're not, if the process doesn't turn you on, this this isn't your thing and i'm kind of sitting here right now saying man i'm tired of the process <laughs> um so yeah w when the topic of disappointment came up that's immediately where i go is yeah i sit there a lot and um it's tiring yeah. and i don't know how to let it go except to keep being tired and to keep saying no i'm not getting enough out of out of these relationships like there, there's something more there's something deeper there's if I keep doing it, it gets better. And if I keep picking picking up the weight, I get stronger. Um, and the voices get quieter. Mm. Uh, that voice that says, you know, I am this, not I have done this, um, gets quieter. So, um, yeah, I'll leave it there. That's that's disappointment for me. Thanks, Newton. Thanks, Newton. Thanks, Thanks Newton. Well, I'm Aaron. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Aaron. And, uh, yeah, disappointment. The thing that comes up for me is uh, just the last uh, a little more than a month, I have been uh, taking certain parts of my life with my Silas and, and just kind of having Lent, um, removing them and seeing what does it feel like, what happens in my mind and my head. and uh, Not... not I'll sin things, just things that occupy space in my life. Um, and it really, uh, after five weeks, uh, has made almost no difference, which seems like the last few years when I have said, oh, I'm feeling a little stale. I'm going to make a, a big change for a chunk of time and, and see if it rekindles something. It just hasn't, uh, it hasn't meant much of anything. And I don't know what to do with that. I think when I was younger, it was so much easier to say, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to take a time of, of renewal, not, <clears throat> not be, not always because I needed some, uh, revival, just that kind of subtle renewal. And I was almost always able to get it. Just that refreshed feeling. And right now I'm putting a lot of work into that and feeling not much. 
Uh, and so I, I think I just don't know where to put that in my life. It has surprised me uh, a bit. I was expecting more, and I am just kind of disappointed. Uh, I think it ties in with the whole expectation thing. I don't know that I had specific expectations, but I must have had some expectations because I find myself disappointed uh, right now. So uh, that may be uh, a good enough lesson that I need to figure out what that lesson is and learn it, and maybe that that is entirely worth it. But as of now, I do not know what to do with that feeling or the situation. So that's that's what uh, comes up when I think of the word disappointment. I'm Aaron. Thanks, Thanks Aaron. Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. And I'm Mark. Hey, Mark. Hey, Mark. And I've been on um, the recovery road for a little bit over four years now. And um, how how uh, how naive of me to think that there's not new stuff to uncover along the way. Um, uh, one of the things that's come up, uh, my I, I struggle with money. I've I've uh, been horrible with it and. Um, that's my, my medication and, uh, so many different ways. And so, uh, I have people in my life here pressing in on the money issue and uh, we can, we uncovered something I never expected to be. Um, my dad taught me so many great lessons. He was so good with money. Um, incredible saver, probably the most generous person I've ever met, I'll never forget the day um, that we went to a very large church that was really more of a popularity contest than anything. And my dad was finally added to the um, uh, kind of the leadership of the church after being there for 20 something years. And uh, they added him to the finance committee. My dad was a coach and a teacher by trade, but uh, I thought that was a good place for him. I'll never forget the first meeting he came home from. I have seen this man lose games. I've seen him lose tournaments, mm-hmm. and I've never seen his shoulders stoop. But when he walked in the door from that business meeting, his tie was loose, his shoulders were just down, and he slumped into his chair. I was like, Dad, you know, I was a teenager at this time. What's wrong? And he looked at me and said, Don't ever stop giving. Hmm. Don't ever stop giving. And I tried to probe a little bit, but my dad was protecting the confidence that he'd heard in the meeting. Before his death, my dad said, um, anything and everything you want to talk about. I've probably got about a year to live. I want to tell you anything and everything. I want to answer every question you've got. And one of the ones that surprised him was that conversation. What was going on? Why did you behave that way? And he said, well, they showed me all the giving records of our church. And they had done some research and tied it with the uh, income level of the people. And what I realized and what made me so sad is that I was in the lower whatever percentage, and yet I was giving more physical dollars than almost anybody else. And it just made me so sad that these men that I've looked up to who make <clears throat> scads of money more than I do aren't generous. Um, and, you know, again, to give you a snapshot, his birthday's coming up, so I've been thinking about him some. You know, he bought um, uh, Letterman jackets for some of his high school players when they couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he bought um, wedding rings for one of my mom's brother uh, brothers because they couldn't afford uh, the wedding rings. Um, he, one of his players, uh, one of his players, contacted me after his death and said, "I've got a story I need to tell you." And he said, uh, "We finished." Uh, he was running. My dad coached track at the time, and uh, he said, "We our four by one hundred relay team uh, won a, a very." big meet that was the last meet of the year I, I think it was the county meet i don't think they went on to state or anything and um but and coach whitlock gathered us around and said so um what are you you know what are you doing next are you headed to college well you know all four of the guys kind of shrugged and said we can't afford to go to college blah 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 and so my dad asked him well what if he had a scholarship well yeah i guess we go to college then so about a week later my dad telephoned these four guys and uh, said, meet me at the track at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. And so they, they all showed up. They thought Coach Willock was going to run them or something. They didn't know. And my dad had, had called around and had gotten all four of them a track scholarship to a, a school. Wow. And uh, so that's the type of man my dad was. So all of these lessons loom large about my dad and money. And yet I'm, I'm, I'm a failure at it compared to him. And then what 
my guys that I, I hang with uh, in, in my, my Saturday morning meeting pressed into me, what my counselors pressed into me, is it's something I had just completely forgotten. The hundreds of times, and, and, and you know, my dad called me a man. He invited me into the company of other men. He did so many things that are written about in the manhood books. He did them all right. And yet, these guys pressed in about my dad and money, my dad and money, my dad and money, my dad, because he bailed me out hundreds of times. Mm-hmm. And you know, what was going on in your dad's heart that he continued to bail you out? And then they got to this, and that is that every so often, it could be about school, it could be about money, it could be about athletics, it could be about relationships, it could be about decisions I'd made, it could be just breaking curfew over and over and over again. You know, Coming home from my Fellowship of Christian Athletes meeting, I was often very late on Thursday <laughs> mm-hmm. nights. You know, but he would drop his head, sigh, and shake his head. And that's all he'd do. Mm. But that expression of disappointment. Wow. Hundreds and hundreds of times over the course of my life. And what I've and what the guys were pressing into me is you're still trying to overcome that look of disappointment in him. He's you know, he's a hero to me. He's so he looms so large yeah. in my life. And that's true. And, but what's interesting is when you, when you shove my dad's upbringing and all of my experiences with my dad and you shove it together with my mom's upbringing and all of, her, and my, all of my experiences with her, what happens is my dad was probably just disappointed. Mm-hmm. He, he was always about improving. I mean, he's a coach. So we'd finish a race. I'd have a, I'd have a PR for that, that 5K time in cross country. And after about two minutes of celebration and high fives and handing me water and, and checking my, you know, my legs and stuff like that, he starts saying, okay, how can we shave 16 seconds off by next week? Yeah. What do we need to do? He was always about constant improvement. So his disappointment was probably just that, disappointment. But when you combine that with the rest of my upbringing, I have shoved disappointment into toxic shame world. Mm-hmm. And so whenever I feel disappointment from someone else, I've been going gusto in the negative direction. Yeah. Taking it to just where I am shaming myself. I, you know, it's, it's a tragedy. It's yeah. not that I forgot the milk at the store. Right. It's that I always forget everything and I'm no good and I, you can't trust me to do even the smallest tasks. So right. why should you trust me to provide for a family and be a good father to kids and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And... Gosh, you know, three months into this, it's still hard. Yeah. It's still hard to feel the pain of disappointment and not shove it all the way over into that negative space. Mm. And um, so that's that's what I'm working on. That's what I'm having to learn these days. So wow. I'm Mark. Thanks, Thanks Mark. Mark. Thanks, Mark. Well, we will be right back uh, with the Pirate Monk podcast and open some of your letters Talk about some of your thoughts. Stick around. And I don't know a soul who's not been battered. I don't have a friend who feels at ease. I don't know a dream that's not been shattered or driven to its knees. Ah, oh, but it's all right. It's all right, for we've lived so well so long. Still, when I think of the road we're traveling on, I wonder what's gone wrong. I can't help but wonder what's gone wrong. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. We are reaching into our mail sack, and out will come your thoughts, your That's dreams, your hopes, M-A-I-L. your questions. <laughs> All right. Okay. Did, did, did somebody say we'll also check for hernias? I don't know, but turn your head, cough. Here we go. Give us the first letter. Just cross their legs. <laughs> Uh, I'll I'll read the first letter. Here's our here's our first question today that we want to address. Uh, let me. I had it up. Oh no! I will read it. Okay, Mark is going to read the first letter for today. All right. So here's here's a question that we got from one of you guys. Um, it goes like this: 
Is there a common source of pain from men that drives them to pornography? How do we find healing from the source? Uh, well, I mean, the glib answer is the common source is life. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. Um, what do you guys think? Well, uh, you, my experience is here's where I found the most resonance. Uh, I think we get to a lonely place by different routes, but behind uh, what drives, I think, most men and women to pornography is loneliness. That loneliness is probably rooted in shame. Yeah. Uh, you know, I if I'm a, if I'm convinced that if you see who I really am, you'll reject me then I can't let you see me. I've got to run, I've got to hide, I've got to cover up. Um, so I will then have some protection, but now behind my walls I am alone, and over time I will become lonely. And uh, I'm made in the image of God. God himself is a relational being. We're made for relationship. We have a deep longing, a need, a desire for intimacy. And pornography offers a... Uh, a um, an artificial intimacy, and um, which when I when if I allow myself to become lonely enough, the lure of it can be almost irresistible. Now, true because I never actually interact with another person. Uh, although, by the way, the way the you know the pornographers are pushing the envelope when it comes to uh, making porn realistic. Uh, I just saw recently that soon uh, select hotels will be offering virtual reality porn. Wow. You'll be able to get a headset in the hotel room. Uh, reviews of VR porn, and now there are, I think, three major players in that field. Hmm. Uh, user reviews, even from people who are not uh, habitual porn users, they went, you know, they they go to the consumer electronics show, they go to the booth, they sure. go on the thing. Is that this is so much more powerful than in the same way that uh, video porn was a huge leap ahead of print porn, right? Uh, because it was a more immersive experience, and it's difficult for the deeper parts of the brain to distinguish between virtual experience and actual experience. Video was much more realistic. That's why video porn, porn is so much more addictive than uh, uh, print porn. Now, VR, virtual reality, takes it to a whole new level, but still, it just makes that... Uh, it, it makes the illusion more realistic. It makes that unfulfilled promise more tempting, but in the end is going to leave the user even more disappointed than before. Because when the episode is over, I'm still alone. I have not I have seen, but I have not been seen. Right. I've not been known. I've not been touched. I've not been loved. And in fact, in a way I've reinforced in my own mind the message that I'm unlovable, unseeable, and unknowable. So uh, that's why it's so crucial. Um, that's why I don't think there's any solo way out of a porn addiction. I have to have the company of other people. And I have to be in an environment where I can bring my real self rather than a false self. Because if you give me affirmation and attention for a false self, it does nothing for me except reinforce in my own mind the idea that the real me is on a, is on a, and I will go home lonely. Yeah. Yeah. So, Nate, that I think when a question like this is asked, I'll read the question again so we don't get off topic from it. The question was, is there a common source of pain uh, for men that drives them to pornography? I think if we focus on just the physical, we miss out on the very important undergirdings of uh, the draw of the hook, and that's what you're talking about, the need for intimacy uh, in, in our hearts the need to be desired, um, the need for connection, and when we don't get it in appropriate ways, uh, we 
turn to false intimacy. And this can also just be habituated when we're young, right? When we're 13 or 14 and and we see kids having a desire for that connection, that intimacy, but it's not happening, so they turn to false intimacy, and by the time they become an adult in a an actual intimate relationship, they've habituated turning to false intimacy. So that's kind of the, the non-physical side, and and I think Christianity deals with that. Nah, see, I won't, I won't be that broad. I think people tend to turn to one or the other of the answers. The other side of the coin, uh, Susan Krauss Whitburn is a psychiatrist that wrote an article about eight reasons men cheat, uh, which I think we would all agree is a step beyond turning to pornography. That's now I have a, a deep enough intimate uh, void in my life that I'm willing to risk far more. And I was a little bit surprised um, that the, the number one reason that she lists um, was a lack of sexual satisfaction in your primary relationship. So if we only focus on that but forget that there's an undergirding of an emotional need, then we're not addressing the problem. But if we only say, hey, this is just uh, an internal need, then we forget that uh, some of the motivations that drive many of us uh, towards pornography or any form of false intimacy is I'm, I felt like I was sold a bill of goods in my marriage. I think God said, if I burn with lust, I ought to get married. So shouldn't this desire be fulfilled in marriage? And men uh, and women get into a marriage and find themselves angry with God and their spouse because of disappointment. And so porn not only starts to fulfill that uh, false intimacy need, but it's also an anger outlet. It's also a form of revenge, whether they yeah. want to admit it or not. My wife deserves me doing this. All of that is also wrapped up, and I, I've had conversations in the last week with people that this is huge in their life, and yet they still can't figure out how to address it with their wives. Their wives do not know how to talk about it uh, without it becoming this weird shame place. Sex, uh, Dealing with sex and getting better at the act of sex is just not something Christians are very equipped to do. And yet, it is part of the thing that drives the married man towards pornography. What do you think, Nate? Well, I have mixed feelings about the statement. I think it's a slippery slope. Yes, because you're blaming the woman now for the guy's action, yeah? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Exactly. Or, Which or is someone why we else, leave this part out, out, but it's part of the reality. Yeah. So yeah. can we acknowledge... You don't get to get off the hook for your behavior. You can't blame your wife. However, people, we need to work on healthier sexual relationships within the relationships God's given us. Right. Yeah, I, I think I think there's a, a I think there's two pieces to that. It's it's one thing for me to acknowledge that from a physical standpoint, I don't get what I want out of my marriage. Yeah. That's fair, right? That's that's yeah. true. Yeah. Right? I think turning that around and blaming my wife for that. Maybe not so much, mm -hmm. you know, or making it her responsibility. Okay, let's, let's, let's pause there. Pause there, though. Yeah. Because I, I get what you guys are saying, but you're using a word like blame my wife. Sure. Where many guys want to say, I don't want to blame my wife, but I do want to be able to have a conversation. Right, and right. And this can go for women as well. And so it's, I don't want to blame my wife, but I'd like to be on a trajectory towards health and healing. And there's no path being offered in my relationship. Yeah, and now, I think that's a problem. I think there's the Puritan part of the Christian tradition that makes that a really hard conversation. Like, like to your point, the church historically isn't equipped to enable and facilitate and encourage those conversations around sexuality and marriage. Right. We talk about we being the church that I still, to some degree, identify with. Um, we talk about the bad things about sex. But there are very few people that talk about the positive attributes of sex and what it does for a marriage yeah. and facilitate those conversations. So, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give you that, Aaron, but I also see the the slipperiness of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that one of the encouraging signs of growth uh, in the modern American church is that there are now a, a growing number of 
uh, gifted, competent, and respectable Christian sex therapists who can help couples uh, get over the hump, whatever it is, for enjoying uh, physical intimacy. We've interviewed one of them, Shannon Eldridge. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But... uh, So I, I... I'd like to suggest this, though, because, again, even that statement, I want to be realistic about it. Most guys will never, in the next uh, eon, the next epoch of time, will they bring up the word sex therapist to their wife. Yeah. And if they do, they will expect the most horrendously bad reaction, and they're probably right for expecting it. So what? why I said there's two sides that both need to be addressed is because if you only address the physical, then yeah, you you can fear your slippery slopes. However, if I acknowledge, man, I have these emotional intimacy needs. They're God-given, and if I pursue false intimacy to fill it, it will end badly. Okay? There's part, there's half the story. Yeah. The other half is the solution to that is me not learning how to be a better celibate husband, but learning how to bring this conversation to my wife so that I can deal with those intimacy needs and the appropriateness of the relationship God has given me, and I need to take seriously my responsibility as an individual and my responsibility as a husband to walk with my wife so we both improve in this way. And I think when both of those sides are happening, we're going to move towards a deeper level of healing that is more than simply not looking at pornography. I want more than that. That's a low bar. And and to acknowledge that needs go both ways, and that if I'm not getting something that I need out of my marriage, it may be the, uh, sexually, right? That may be my need, a sexual yeah. need. My wife may not be getting some need out of our marriage that I'm, there's something that I'm likely not fulfilling for her. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. that it's a quid pro quo thing, Yeah. but I have to be willing to hear her say, yeah, if I was more relaxed because you actually got the shit done that you said you were going to do two years ago in the house, projecting onto myself um, <laughs> if, you, if, if you got those that, things that done, is the, you know. that is the whole process that's saying i'm engaging as a man the whole int- because intimacy is not just physical right especially for most women it starts emotionally so we both need to get educated we both need to be working we both need to be dealing with it better but i'm afraid that when we look at the pornography issue with a man we simply say here's how to focus on not looking at porn but the wife is not brought into this process when she is a big part of the gift of God, but it's never activated. We, we simply go to celibacy and um, monkdom when we're supposed to be uh, entering into a deeper intimate relationship with our brides. And that's what I want to advocate for, and I want to state that I think simple uh, – sobriety from pornography is the lowest goal. It's a good goal, but it's the lowest goal, the highest being deeper connection with our spouse and our God. But it's an absolute first step. Uh, About 15 years ago, I worked for the organization Family Life. Uh, It's a division of Campus Crusade for Christ, and they have marriage conferences. uh, There was a time when about 250,000 people were coming to our events every year. And as the internet began to take off, mm-hmm. uh, we had uh, a guy who worked at Yahoo back when Yahoo was the big dog in town, uh, came to work for us. And he started doing some web analytics, and he found the top three terms that people were searching for on our website. Uh, can anybody guess what number one was? No. Divorce. Ooh. Divorce. Divorce was number one. This was my first answer. But okay. Oh, everybody oh man. Thought, so I, I blew that. Sorry. <laughs> everybody thought it was going to be sex, but it was actually divorce. The number two term was Harry Potter. Oh, wow. And the number three term was sex. Yeah. And what we realized as a ministry, the ministry had been in existence for 20 plus years at the time. Yeah. And that we had talked about the value of sex, how God created sex. We had we had explored Song of Solomon. We had done all these things. Uh, the, the, quote, sex talk at the, in the middle of these weekends, to remember, was a huge, huge thing that brought a lot of freedom to couples. But we had never addressed how to have a better sexual relationship in your marriage with Harry Potter? <laughs> no, <laughs> that's, that's how it works. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh. No, okay. Uh, so we tackled it, and for some inexplicable reason, I still don't understand. I was asked to lead the team. 
but we discovered two things, and I, we won't talk about the products we created and, and all the letters and stuff like that. I just want to talk about the two things we found out as we surveyed and talked to men and women. And talking to women, we found out the number one thing that was keeping them from a more vibrant sex relationship in their marriages was their sexual pasts. Mm-hmm. Yes. That they felt that whatever had happened in the past, uh, we were amazed at the number of abortions. Yeah. We were amazed and, and among evangelical women. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't have been. We see the statistics, but when you start hearing stories, it becomes yeah. real. We were also amazed at the number of women who had been sexually abused. Yes. And, and other things. And yeah, I mean, we've seen the statistics. It's like one in six, uh, depending on how you define abuse, has yeah. been sexually abused. Those things were keeping women from dealing with that. So we had to address sexual abuse and past abortions among women mm-hmm. uh, and give them tools to address that moving forward. And the number one issue for men was definitely pornography. Mm-hmm. Um, past pornography use, current pornography use, and the shame that, that was wrapped around that. So yeah. unless, and what bottom line of what we discovered, unless both the husband and the wife deal with their sexual pasts, they cannot have a sexual union. And you can even see that in Genesis when it says, a man shall leave his father and mother, mm-hmm. shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The cleaving was not occurring because they were not leaving their pasts behind. They may have been leaving father and mother, and that's a whole other issue for another podcast, but um, they were not cleaving together because they were still bogged down in their sexual pasts. Wow. Wow, good stuff. So the question was two parts, and I think we've talked a bunch about the first part, but that second part, how do we find healing from the source? Yeah. Um, I think it involves going to the source. I think Mm -hmm. it involves going to the pain. You know, if my tooth hurts, I need to go to the dentist and have them, like, dig it out, you know, get to the core of what's going on. Um I think that's where the, the healing comes is finding that thing. And maybe there isn't a common source of pain. I mean, at a broad brush, I think there is, mm-hmm. you know, it's loneliness, but what drives me to loneliness and whatever, it, whatever it looks like. Um, but how do you find healing? I think it's to go to that issue, go to that thing that hurts to dig and dig and dig and dig. And don't go alone. And right. Not by yourself. Right. You know, my head's a dangerous place. And when I go in, I get beat up. Right. Uh, if I go in by myself, um, but yeah, healing is just keep like it sucks. It's exhausting. But to continue going back to the pain until you figure out until I figure out um like what the source of that pain is and then identifying that pain. It could be that the reason I think my wife hates me is that my mom hated me. It could be that the reason that that happened is this. If I don't continue to dig and dig and dig and have someone help me, if someone else doesn't hold the scalpel for me, to help me root out what that is, where I'm guiding and they're doing the work or whatever that looks like. Um, I don't think you're going to find healing. I'm not going to find healing. I, yeah. You know, to tie I it back think, into sharing. Yeah, go ahead. There's there's a couple ways to hear what, what Newton's saying. You can go and focus on rooting out that pain uh, in a lot of, uh, using a lot of tools. Some of them are, completely based in past and history stuff and and it can be helpful there can be a lot of helpful things in the end for myself i I want to find that source of pain and how the gospel has not been enough yeah i need to i want to find a solution where the i find the dark corner so that the gospel light can shine specifically there i want the gospel to redeem each of these pieces because frankly, every time I go to a false intimacy, it's because uh, somehow I really don't think God is enough. Uh, the gospel is not enough. I am not enough in Christ. So I, I would just love for people to find someone who can help take that journey of saying, okay, let's, we need two things in, in your tooth example. You need a dentist and you need to make sure he's working on your tooth and not your elbow knee. Yeah. Right. Um, your male So <laughs> find the people who understand what new life in Christ looks like, that they have freedom in Christ, not people that are simply in continual Christian bondage to the next new uh, Pharisaic value of the church, but someone who has abundant life, who has freedom in Christ, 
who knows the daily value of the blood of Christ and can walk with you, and what does that mean to my broken, hurt past, my relationship with my father whom I disappointed, my relationship with my wife that I'm still confused as to why we're disconnected. What does Christ mean there? And then we start to to find the... I mean, God put us in this world that's that's messed up and broken. And yeah, it was Adam and Eve who sinned, but it's God who stuck the tree there. So God doesn't get to be off the hook, and frankly, he doesn't need me to let him off the hook. Right. Uh, this is the process in which I discover him uh, beautifully. But if I leave him out of the process, then I'm simply muddling through pain for no purpose. Right. And that is dumb. Yeah. All right. So next question. This will be a quick answer because the answer is coming up on August 20th. Here's the question. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe this is so unique to each individual it can't be answered. But just an idea. What is real sobriety like? Can it be defined qualitatively or quantitatively? What are the intangible aspects of it that you've walked through? Nate, do you have any thoughts about that? Well, I do, I do, I do. I mean, this is such a big topic that we're going to actually spend an entire weekend exploring it. The After the Miracle Weekend, uh, Building a Life of Positive Sobriety, we're going to spend uh, from 5 o'clock Friday till uh, lunchtime on Sunday, uh, talking about uh, and working together toward uh, a, a greater experience of that abundant life that Jesus said he came to give us. Sobriety is not just not doing what I used to do. Right. Uh, it's true that during my years of, of active addiction, um, I allowed my life to become smaller and smaller and smaller as I traded away my birthright bit by bit. Um, thankfully, by God's grace, the progress of that addiction has been arrested. And I'm not, I've hit bottom because I've stopped digging, right? Now the question is uh, how do I get out of that hole and what do I see when I get out? Out there, and what does life look like from here on out? For me, uh, this is a whole. The, the answer is going to be a holistic one. God has made me an embodied spirit, not just a spirit and not just a body. And uh, I am going to begin to exercise stewardship over all that God has given me. I'm going to find joy in actually even that work of stewardship. Hmm. Um. Life is going to get richer as I enter f into relationship with other people and bring my real self. Uh, but there are going to be challenges that come along with this because I have been teaching people how to treat me right up until the day I got sober. I have fashioned for myself or allowed others to fashion for me a role within a family system within a, and within a, solar, uh, a social system. And uh, now that uh, this transformation has begun, uh, now that I'm experiencing in real practical ways what sanctification is supposed to look like, I'm changing, which means my uh, I don't fit into the old roles. Yeah. Uh, so things are going to have to be uh, renegotiated. I'm going to have to, uh, in positive sobriety, here's the amazing thing. I, I was powerless over my addiction but thought I had power over it and spent a lot of time trying to control it and uh, powerless over a great many other things in my life people places and events that I was always trying to orchestrate and control the resulting frustration and exhaustion left me vulnerable to my addiction at the same time there are other parts of my life over which I have plenty of influence and plenty of power and control that I thought I was powerless over and I'd become passive. So I was trying to be active in areas where I really couldn't make a difference and passive in areas where I can enjoy tremendous leverage if I just begin to expend some effort. So uh, this new life, positive sobriety, it's mark, here's what its mark is, um, serenity. Yeah. Uh, I love the Apostle Paul saying, I have learned 
in whatever state I find myself therein to be content. And then he goes on to describe a life of tremendous uh, chaos and <laughs> opposition. It's not like he, uh, you know, he, uh, the Apostle Paul floated through life, uh, but he found joy and serenity uh, even when he was in prison yeah. or even when he was shipwrecked. So, you know, the mark of it is serenity and contentment. Uh, but to get there, uh, first of all, I'm never, I don't know, there might be some other people who are able to stay on that log uh, for a longer than I am in that, you know, perpetual log rolling contest. Uh, uh, I know what it, I know what it tastes like and feels like because the, the overall tenor of my life, there's far less inner tumult and chaos than there used to be. And I've had moments, flashes, glimpses, sometimes even uh, successive days of serenity. I know it's there. It's beautiful. Uh, but I am still in process working on, uh, as it's put so beautifully in that prayer that opens every 12-step meeting, learning to uh, accept the things I cannot change and, and receiving from God the courage to change the things I can. Yeah. All right. I, that, I think I think there's also some things like it, like w- what is it? Well, what is it not? Yeah. And I don't think it, that real sobriety is exclusively abstinence. Mm-hmm. I can be abstinent and not be sober. Yes. Um. And I I think it's I think it's hard, and I, I lost my second not. But I can't be sober and not be abstinent. Right. Yes. Um, yeah, I, right. I've, I've said it that way on purpose. Um, but I think, I think it's, it's very much, um, there's a liturgical analogy I read um, a while back that talked about dancing and mm-hmm. within the liturgical calendar of, of the Christian year. And I think that sobriety for me is doing the steps of sobriety mm-hmm. without so much counting the steps of sobriety. Oh. And just going to dance. Oh. You know? Like, I'm not thinking, oh, I have to check in today. I have to do this. I have to do that. That's counting steps. Yeah. Real sobriety for me feels like just dancing. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just doing the movement, not going through the motions, but doing the movement. Well, we have of, to learn to dance. So you yeah. Count you the you steps do have in the to beginning. learn. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's. Dancing lessons. That's what it, oh. that's what it sounds like to <laughs> me. The word quantitatively bothers me a little bit. Uh-huh. I get it. Because that, that, that's heavy metal 12-step talk. Yeah. You know, I'm more sober because I have more, more chips. Yeah. But I think qualitatively, I think there's, I think there's something there. Um, but yeah, that was just my thoughts on it. Perfect. All right. Well, if you want to engage that question deeply, uh, we have a limited amount of uh, openings for the amazing weekend that will be coming up in august mark tell them a little bit more about how to get on the early side of that august 19 through 21 nate larkin along with a previous podcast guest david hampton mm-hmm. aaron porter newton Dominey, myself and others will be hosting a weekend called after the miracle building a life of positive sobriety when you come to pyromonkpodcast.com look there on the homepage. there will be a link where you can register for the event we have room for 60 men. Uh, so please come online right now. Click on. Uh, you'll have the ability to uh, pay uh, your registration fee. Registration covers five meals and your lodging and then all of the uh, fellowship with other men and teaching uh, for the weekend. Uh, your travel expenses uh, to get there and get home again are obviously on your own. There's also an opportunity for you to uh to give some, uh, it's not tax deductible, unfortunately, but to help another man come to the event. And if there's also a way, if you're a man who wants to come to the event and needs to be there, but doesn't think he can afford uh, the full price, uh, let us know that. And we can, uh, we can coordinate that with you uh, at a future time. So come to piratemonkpodcast.com, click on the link to register for After the Miracle, August 19 through 21 in Colorado. Yeah, it's going to be at the at Bear Trap Ranch uh, in the Pike National Forest, right within view of Pike's Peak. 
uh, one of the prettiest parts uh, of, uh, of the world, just a gorgeous place. Uh, uh, about two hours, two and a half hours from Denver Airport, about an hour from Colorado Springs Airport. And uh, we'll have to see if some of the brothers in Colorado can maybe help us out coordinating transportation. So, by the way, yeah, if you are within range of Colorado Springs or can arrange to be there uh, to help uh, with, uh, transport. yeah, transport and other stuff, uh, give us a jingle. It sure would help to have some more uh, hands. There, there's a link uh, on the site where you can say, I'm willing to volunteer. Yeah. Uh, please click that link and we can be in touch with you to make sure that uh, you get plugged in. Uh, and you can serve uh, other pirate monks in the process. I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be a great weekend. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. And we'll give you guys updates in the coming weeks about how registration is filling up. I encourage you to register now. Uh, the Samson Society, as you know from our, our meeting etiquette and from our charter, uh, we don't make any money. That uh, This is not a money-making enterprise. This is an opportunity. Uh, we've kept a bare-bones cost to get as many men in a room at the same time uh, to interact with each other, to share this common journey with each other, uh, and to um, move toward building a life of positive sobriety. We want you to be there. So please come to PirateMonkPodcast.com, click on the link, and, and register. We want you there. All right. Well, once again, our time has flown. It's been a – I just enjoy I, – I have such a good time. This – I guess this counts as a Samson meeting. It really does. <laughs> I think Especially it has all the elements. Yeah, when we do a mini meeting. Yeah. Right. This is good. Uh, well, it, it looks like we're going to wrap up this episode, would you say? I would say so. Okay, so until next time, I'm Nate. I'm Newton. I'm Mark. And I'm Aaron. Radio. <laughs> <laughs> we're your pals. We'll see you next time on the Pirate Month Podcast. Junior P, preaching recovery.